Today's scripture reading comes from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 28 through 31. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining us today. We are in the middle of an Advent sermon series called A Weary World Rejoices. And if there were ever a cultural moment in our lifetime where we as an entire global community are collectively experiencing weariness, it probably is right now. But I also want to make this sermon series a little bit more personal to each and every one of us by asking two questions. Uh, number one, what makes you weary? And number two, how do you deal with your weariness? How do you get a handle on your weariness? So what makes you weary? Uh, and maybe I can throw out some synonyms to help us answer this question. What makes you exhausted? What makes you fatigued? What, what saps the life out of you? What drains the life out of you? What makes you weary? If you're a parent, you're probably thinking, kids, definitely, definitely my kids. For others of you, it might be the sun setting by 4 p.m. and the weather getting colder, and it feels like it's 10 p.m., but it's actually only 4 p.m. For others of you, it might be family burdens that are now being placed on your shoulders. Uh, for others of you, it might be scrolling through your social media and seeing all this bad news, and it just drains you and makes you sad. For others of you, it just might be work. For others of you, it, it could be holidays. For others of you, it might be personal expectations that have yet to be fulfilled. So what makes you weary? Uh, personally for me, I, uh, I just submitted, as many of you know, a mammoth project uh, this past Tuesday, a 268-page paper that I've been working on for eight and a half years. Uh, but over the past few months, there were some uh, deadlines that I had to meet. And as a result of that, I felt like I was carrying a 268-pound backpack on my shoulders, and it made me weary. It made me tired. In addition to that, doing our best as a staff to help navigate through some pretty big issues from the pandemic to racial justice to politics to our anniversary service to our Christmas service coming up to inducting an amazing class of new members to casting an exciting vision for 2021. And that is enough to make anyone tired and weary. And I haven't even talked about, that's just church stuff. I haven't even talked about more personal stuff. So even for me, I am, I am tired and I am weary. So my follow-up question now is, how do you, how do you deal, deal with your weariness? How do you, how do you get a handle on your weariness? Uh, for me, it's sometimes another cup of coffee, maybe my second or third to caffeinate myself. Maybe for you, it's an energy drink. For others of you, it might just be going outside for a hike and just staring at nature. For others of you, it could just be taking a digital Sabbath and saying, I'm not going to look at my phone anymore for like the next couple of weeks. So how do you 
how do you deal with the weariness that you uh, are experiencing? Uh, this sermon series that we are doing is called, uh, is not just called A Weary World, but the sermon series that, that we're doing is called A Weary World Rejoices. And so how, how is it that we can rejoice in the midst of the weariness that we are experiencing? And, and this sermon series uh, is obviously taken out from the classic uh, Christmas song, O Holy Night. And in verse one, there's a line that says, a thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices. Hope is the best medicine for our weariness. And you know what, Advent, it's, it's all about hope. Uh, from a calendar perspective, Advent is the four Sundays prior to Christmas to help us prepare for Christmas. And Advent simply means the coming or the arrival of something. So have you ever heard the sound of a train in the distance and you hear it go choo-choo, and you hear, you hear this choo-choo sound get louder and louder and you can almost feel the train coming towards you. That is what Advent is all about. It is the expectation, the coming or the arrival of something. And I think in our moment right now, we, we understand Advent better than anyone else because we, we've all been waiting for the advent, the coming of a vaccine. And now that we have a vaccine, we're all waiting uh, for us to, to receive the vaccine because this vaccine represents hope. It's, it's our savior from this pandemic that we are experiencing and the collective weariness that we're all experiencing as well. And similarly, Advent is all about waiting for the arrival of something. And it's not just a vaccine, but it is our ultimate hope, our ultimate savior uh, from the existential weariness that we are experiencing and even from sin and death itself. And that is the waiting and the arrival of Jesus himself. And that is what this passage is ultimately uh, all about. Uh, contextually speaking, uh, when the prophet Isaiah is writing this passage, the reason why he wants to uh, inject hope into the lives of God's people is because they are weary. They're, they're about to be conquered. They're about to lose their homes and be displaced from their homes. They're about to lose their place of worship because their temple would be destroyed. They're about to lose their status as the greatest nation in the world. And as a result of that, they are experiencing collective weariness. They are drained, they are fatigued. And the reason why I'm mentioning this historical context of what's taking place in Isaiah's time is because oftentimes as, as modern Westerners, when we read the Bible, have you ever said this to yourself? When you're reading the Old Testament in particular, you think to yourself, I have no idea what I'm reading and I can't relate to anything that's going on at all. And a part of the reason for that is because as modern Westerners, we've, we've pretty much lived pretty curated lives. Our lives have been pretty good for the most part, and it's hard to relate to what people that have experienced suffering have gone through, but the best empathizers, the best empathizers are able to empathize well because they've experienced the suffering that another person is experiencing. And for us, for the most part, we've, we haven't as a nation and as a global community experienced what the people of God have experienced until now. 
We also know what it's like to be displaced from our homes. Uh, there are people watching our services right now from Exilic all over the country and all over the world because many people have been displaced. We also understand what it's like to lose our place of worship. They lost our temple, we lost our hotel. So we also have no place to worship. Meeting online is great, but let's be honest, it's not the same thing. They also lost their status as the greatest nation in the world. And for the first or maybe second or third time, Americans are actually saying, maybe we're not the greatest country in the world anymore. So the, the parallels are actually striking to what they were going through and to what we are going through right now. So there's actually a lot of connection that is here. And it is in this context this sense of weariness that the people of God are experiencing, that Isaiah writes this magnificent chapter, chapter 40, to inject hope into the lives of God's people. Um, Greg Easterbrook uh, wrote a, um, a book called Progress Paradox. And you don't have to read the book to, uh, to get the gist of what this book is about because in the subtitle of Progress Paradox, it says, how life gets better while people feel worse. And Easterbrook says, if you were to draw a, a, a graph of what uh, our lives look like as modern Westerners in particular, it, it really is up and to the right. It looks good. I mean, we, we have sleek phones. We have better coffee than ever before, thank goodness. We have cars that drive by themselves. We have 85-inch TVs. I mean, island quartz you know, uh, countertops. I mean, we have... Um, we have everything. And so the good life, I mean, by all, by all accounts, it looks like we are experiencing the good life in our outer lives, at least. But the moment you get us talking about our inner lives, that graph no longer goes up into the right, but it goes down into the right. Because the moment you get us talking about our inner lives, uh, now, now we're talking about our depression, our crazy amount of anxiety our fears, our worries, our stress at dangerously unhealthy levels. How life gets better while people feel worse. And it is in this context that Isaiah is also writing to us. And he's trying to inject hope into every one of us. And so read with me verses 29 to 31 where he says, he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. You know, when I read these verses, I think to myself, soar on wings like eagles, run and not grow weary, walk and not be faint. I mean, I can, I can barely get out of bed in the mornings. How am I gonna soar uh, on wings like eagles. I mean, what is Isaiah talking about here? Well, I don't think he's talking about a um, outer kind of thriving so much as he's talking about an inner kind of thriving. I don't think he's talking about a physical kind of thriving so much as he's talking about a deep inner spiritual kind of thriving. The kind of thriving where even when your world is collapsing in on you, there's a kind of steadiness about you. There's a kind of buoyancy. Even when everything around you is sinking and being shaken, there's, there's a sense of composure, a gravitas, even in the midst of all of those things. And what Isaiah is saying is that the key to the steadiness comes, the key, the key comes when we hope in the Lord. And so my question is, 
Do you hope in the Lord? Or are you tired of hoping in the Lord? Are you tired of trusting in his promises? You know, when you've gone through the ringer in life, it's very hard to keep hoping in the Lord. It's hard to keep trusting in God. When you're perpetually a student in the school of hard knocks and you're never a graduate of it, it's, it's hard not to feel jaded. It's hard not to feel exhausted, even in terms of your relationship with God. And you know what? The people of God were experiencing the same thing during Isaiah's time. They, they slowly began to get jaded more and more. And it is, it is in the midst of, of that feeling, that angst, that Isaiah writes in verses, uh, verse 28, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. What Isaiah is doing here is that he's asking rhetorical questions. Do you not know? Have you not heard? And the reason why he's asking these rhetorical questions is because oftentimes the reason why we don't have strength for our weariness is because we don't hope in God. And the reason why we don't hope in God is because we don't have a big view of who God is. That's why Isaiah is saying, do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. His understanding, no one can fathom. And what he's trying to give the people of God is a bigger picture of who God is because the moment they have a bigger picture of who God is, the more hope they'll place in God. The more hope they have, that is the key for strength in the midst of our weariness. And we don't have the time, but one of the applications that you can do after this sermon is to meditate on this entire chapter of Isaiah 40 because it has such a dynamic view of who God is. It's in this chapter that Isaiah says that people are like grass. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. It says that people are like grasshoppers. It says that you know, we, we, we sweep our living room floors and our bedroom with, uh, with all the dust on our floors into a tiny pan. Isaiah says that God sweeps the dust, not of the, our living room, but he sweeps the dust of the entire earth and he places it in a tiny basket that he holds. He says that all the nations, Antarctica, uh, uh, China, all the big nations are like a drop in a bucket compared to who God is. That is all. So what Isaiah is trying to do is give us a bigger picture of who God is. And I'll give, you, I'll give you an analogy, though, of what usually happens to us, particularly if we've been a Christian for a long time. So uh, last week for Thanksgiving, we took uh, the kids to Sesame Place. And um, I've been to Sesame Place one other time when I was like nine years old, so like 50 years ago. And I just remember it being like the most enchanted place in the world. I have such fond memories of the one time that I went to Sesame Place as a kid. And so when we went last week, I was super excited to for them to have that experience. And to be honest, for me to sort of relive that enchanted experience. But when I went, I mean, it was, it was hardly anything but enchanting. It was like disenchanting because of how small it was. I mean, roller coasters didn't have any loops. I mean, they were tiny. All the rides were like very underwhelming for me at this point in my life, but for my kids, um, it, it was like the most magical place uh, in the world. But for someone like me, uh, now that I'm older, looking at it, Sesame Place was big, but it sort of shriveled down in size for me. And sometimes that's what happens with our relationship with God. The older we get, um, 
God sometimes becomes smaller and smaller in our eyes. Well, I want to con contrast um, our story of uh, Sesame Place with another family trip that we took last year to Disney World. And the reason why my wife Hannah and I were even hesitant to take our kids to Disney World is because they weren't, they're young. I mean, they're not really old enough to appreciate all the, the wonder that Disney World has to offer. But nevertheless, we took them there and they had a great time. Um, but are they going to even remember what Disney World looked like? Probably not. Um, during the fireworks show at 9 p.m. on, you know, Cinderella's Palace, it's like the most magical thing uh, on earth. And our kids are like sleeping through the entire thing. But for me, I mean, my, my jaw was down to the floor. I was in awe of what I was watching. And what I want for them one day, as they get older and older, the next time we take them to Disney World, I want them to have a deeper appreciation of what Disney World is like. I want them to, 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 to value and to, to have a bigger view of what Disney World is like, instead of just a small view that they have. And similarly, the older we get in our lives, I want us to have a bigger picture of who God is, not a shriveled, small picture of who God is, because the bigger view we have of God, the more hope we will have in God, the more hope we have in God, the more strength we will have for our weariness. I'll give you one final example. Uh, in the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis, there's a, uh, a scene where Aslan, this lion, reconnects with Lucy. And uh, when they first met, Lucy was just a tiny girl. But when they reconnect, Lucy's a little bit older. And so when they re finally reconnect, Lucy says to Aslan this line, she says, Aslan, you're, you're, you're bigger. And Aslan the line responds by saying, no, Lucy, I'm not bigger. You're older. And the older you get, the bigger you will find me. And similarly, my hope and what Isaiah is trying to do, what I'm trying to do right now, is that the older we get, I want us to have a bigger view of who God is. And probably the best way of giving you a bigger view of who God is, is by explaining to you what he's like. You know, there's a song that my daughter sings called, uh, my, my God is so, uh, I don't know the emotions, but my God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. The mountains are his, the rivers are his, the skies are his handiwork too. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. I love that song. But God isn't only big just because of how transcendent he is. But you know what, God, what makes God really, really big? It's the size of his heart. And you know how big the size of his heart is and his love for you is? The best proof of that is the cross. God never grows tiresome or weary with us. He neither sleeps nor slumbers. And even though we get weary, he never does. And the proof of that is the cross. He did not get weary hanging up there. He willingly did, as tired as he was, as, as much pain and suffering as he was experiencing. He did not grow weary in doing good for us. And it, he hung on that cross, particularly for our sin. The Bible says that we all believe in God, but you know what we do? We suppress that truth down 
so that we don't have a big view of who God is, but we have a very shriveled view of God, who God is. Instead of an enchanted view of God, it's very disenchanted to the point where we, it is completely almost gone. And even in the midst of our uh, unbelief at times, even in the midst of placing our hopes in other things besides Him, He willingly hangs up there. And He doesn't say, you know, on second thought, guys, I don't want to do this anymore, I'm really tired. He willingly stays up there and hangs on a cross for our sins so that we would not have to pay for our sins, but He would in our place so that we can be reconciled to God again. And if the cross isn't a great picture of who God is and his love for us, his unweariable, if that's a word, his unweariable love for us, I don't know what is. And to the degree that you meditate on, on his untiresome love for us, the more you meditate on a big view of who God, you will run through a wall for him. You will do anything for him. You will soar on wings like eagles. You will run and not grow weary. You will walk and not grow faint the more you re realize what he has done for you in your place. Um, I want to read something for us from uh, Winston Churchill where he says, It is no use saying to the tired mental muscles, I will give you a good rest. I will go for a long walk or I will lie down and think of nothing. The mind keeps busy just the same. If it has been weighing and measuring, it goes on weighing and measuring. If, if it has been worrying, it goes on worrying. It is useless to argue with the mind in this condition. The mind catches hold to something and will not let it go. One can only gently insinuate something else into its convulsive grasp. And if this something else is rightly chosen, if it is really attended by the illumination of another field of interest, gradually and often quite swiftly, the old undue grip relaxes and the process of recuperation and repair begins. So what Churchill was alluding to here um, for himself was hobbies. For him painting or exercising, it was a way of dealing with his weariness. But, you know, I, and I do think that hobbies can help for sure. But I also think that we need something bigger than just hobbies to deal with the existential weariness that we are experiencing. And so what if there was a way for us to experience that, to experience strength in the midst of our weariness? Would you want it? What if there are a way for you to soar like wings on eagles, to, to run and not grow weary, walk and not grow faint, even when the world is collapsing in on you, there is a sense of steadiness and buoyancy. Would you want it? I think we need something bigger than just a hobby. And I believe that that bigger thing is God himself. And the bigger view you have of who God is, the more hope you will place in God. The more hope you will place in God the more strength you will have for your weariness. But do you want it? Do you have a big view of who God is? One thing that you can do today is meditate on Isaiah chapter 40, and there you will find how big God is and how much he loves us and desires to comfort us in the midst of our weariness. Let's pray together.